morning. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about Portland terrorists arrested, leftists outraged, Congressman John Lewis and his legacy, and Antifa BLM Texas and Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And hello again, and welcome to America Can We Talk, and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Over the weekend, there was outrage expressed on the left about the idea that some people, representatives of federal government, Federal agents were in the city of Portland and they were arresting people who've been identified as terrorists. And a lot of the coverage, and this is whether it's on national media or just kind of in the social media chit chat world, a lot of the coverage was about this ominous idea that somehow America's really turned a corner. And now we have, you know, unarmed vehicles driving down the streets of American cities and people leaping out and gathering, you know, grabbing someone and putting them in the car, putting them under arrest. And the person at that moment wasn't doing anything wrong. And these images conjured up of, you know, third world countries, of communist dictator countries, places like China where people get disappeared, places like Burma and other countries where the government engaged in simply snatching citizens off the streets for unknown reasons, and in some cases, never seeing the person again. This is a kind of picture that the left is trying to paint of this federal police action engaged in Portland. And I want to tell you, it is a complete farce. First though, let's go to some clips I sent to Matt the Wonderful, producer who's always ready, uh, even when I send clips kind of last minute. But these are clips, these are the riots ongoing in the city of Portland, Oregon. These are still the continuation of the riots that were engaged in, organized by Antifa, the Black Lives Matter group in response to the, what, okay, not really in response, but they pretend it's in response to the George Floyd killing in Minneapolis weeks ago. Here's what it looks like on the streets of Portland. folks I want you to see all that because sometimes I think you can think that this is just you know people peacefully protesting in a park in Portland people waving signs you know peace and we love you know love your neighbor signs these are violent terrorists and this has been going on in the city of Portland for seven weeks 
that, that has been going on in the city of Portland, what you saw there, you saw, for example, the police were trying to protect a certain federal building. They had put up fences around, metal fences, to keep the terrorists who are engaging in this violence in our cities, try to keep them from further destroying federal public property, keep them from defacing public buildings, more of the graffiti drawing. When you can see the terrorists and they're, they're uh, pulling away all that fencing, there's, you can see what the buildings look like. So after seven weeks of the Portland officials doing zero zip, not a nothing, finally the federal government got a little bit involved. So there was a statement by Chad Wolf. He's the acting Homeland Security director. And he basically said his words, the city of Portland has been under siege for 47 days straight, 47 days straight by a violent mob while local po political leaders refuse to restore order to protect their city. The Department of Homeland Security stands ready to assist to bring the violent activity to an end. Countering that idea that maybe you should bring violence under control, you have Portland's mayor, Ted Wheeler, complaining that the federal government came into the city of Portland to protect federal property and to stop people from their violent conduct. So you had Ted Wheeler complaining, basically said, he never invited the federal officials in, we don't need them, and they want them to leave. Ken Cuccinelli, Homeland Security Acting Deputy Secretary said, essentially, what we've seen around the country is where responsible policing is advanced, violence recedes. Portland hasn't gotten the memo, nor have a lot of other cities. And the president is determined to do what we can do within our jurisdiction to help restore peace to these beleaguered cities. And so inside Portland, what you had happening were unmarked police cars who had already identified these terrorists, these criminals, attacking, destroying public property, destroying private property, destroying cities, standing around burning, um, whatever they're burning in their dumpster fires, graffiti everywhere, violence in the streets, mob protests going on and on and on. And so the federal officials had identified some people who were actually criminals. And they decided rather than waiting until they could, you know, track them down someplace peaceably to find them in Portland where they're engaging in this conduct. And so you had unmarked police cars identifying there yeah there's so and so he's one of our guys he's been identified as a criminal these are not people understand these are not people who are going to be snatched off the streets of the city and disappeared into the vast forever never seen again they're going to be arrested they're going to be either indicted or released whatever happens to them these are not random acts of police of the federal government snatching innocent citizens off the streets this is a reaction to the conduct weeks on end now inside Portland, reaction to the way those people act. And the idea that people in our country are so ridiculous, so uh, inaccurate, ineffective in what they're trying to argue, of course, police function and law enforcement sometimes functions in unmarked vehicles. You know this if any of you have had the treat of being pulled over by an unmarked police car on our highways and freeways. Yes, officials of all kinds sometimes drive unmarked cars. That's not a crime. In fact, they use unmarked cars because sometimes it keeps police safer and most definitely enables them to catch people who are engaged in unlawful conduct. There is nothing nefarious, wild, crazy, or oh my gosh, the world's at an end simply because in Portland, after the mayor has refused to bring order to his city, refused to stop criminal mobs from destroying property, there's no big insidious, oh my gosh, we've crossed some horrible line thing happening. There are leftists who have decided this kind of violence somehow serves their left-wing purpose 
or that they don't have the backbone, the willingness to tamp down on property destruction, on criminal conduct in their city streets because they're so afraid of being attacked by the Antifa BLM leftist mob, it's easier to just let them keep on destroying property. The people of Portland, probably those who would not, who could, you could poll secretly, who wouldn't be worried that you'd have somehow the Antifa and the BLM people listening in on them, ready to pounce on them, whole lot of folks in Portland are probably saying, thank goodness, somebody is trying to restore order. Thank goodness, somebody wants to restore Portland to a city that normal and sane people can call home. And that, my very fine friends, is today's First Five. So there's a, a lot going on in America, and I want to, uh, to start by giving a, a tribute to a congressman who passed away over the weekend. I want to talk a little bit about him and why he was viewed as a, as a positive force in America, why he was uh, really revered by many people in the American left. And this is, of course, Congressman John Lewis. And I sent a picture of him to Matt the Wonderful. This is, this is he. This is a, and he is not just a, was not just a congressman, um, but he has been a congressman, I think it's like since 1987. Yeah, 1987 until his death this year. He served as a member of the United States Congress representing the 5th District of uh, Congressional District in Georgia. But he is a civil rights legend in the minds of many people, rightfully so, because he actually marched with and served with Martin Luther King in the era of the civil rights struggle to fight against the completely un-American and, and ugly history in we have in this country, in the South, of the Democrat-led South of segregation, Jim Crow laws, KKK, to fight against the imposed segregation of black and white Americans. This is a guy who was a leader. He was actually physically beaten by the police and, and as he engaged in his uh, demand for civil rights. He marched with Martin Luther King, brought about, of course, a great course correction for America, bringing about the civil rights legislation uh, that was fought for so hard by Martin Luther King and many others of his followers, including Congressman John Lewis. So he was and is rightfully viewed by people as a hero because he got in the fight early, hung in there with Martin Luther King, and ended up serving in the United States Congress. So these are the uh, tributes, of course, pouring in all over the world and certainly all over America, left-wing America, um, and ev actually everyone, people of both political parties, honoring a man whose legacy included having been a fighter for equality, a fighter to end the, and I can't stress strongly enough, the Democrat-imposed, Democrat Party, Southern State-imposed segregation, the Jim Crow laws, and the uh, KKK, and other laws. I just want to, you know, the kind of things they fought against. The Democrat Party was so determined not to permit black American citizens to vote that even long after the Civil War, long after the Civil Rights Amendments passed in the federal constitution, Southern states continued, led by the Democrat Party, continued to try to discriminate against black Americans and deny them full equal rights. So they did things like they had laws passed in the South that said, for example, uh, in order to register to vote, you had to have a high school education, you had to have a high school diploma, because that kind of law you know, neutral on its face, of course, but discriminated against black Americans because at that time, when those laws were passed, there were a much higher percentage of black Americans who had not achieved a high school diploma than there were of white Americans. And so that kind of law, they used the, term, the legal term, a disparate impact, 
had a disparate impact on black Americans, kept black Americans from voting. These are the kinds of things the Democrat Party did to keep black Americans down. Democrat Party on the side of slavery in the Civil War, Democrat Party on the side of the segregated South. And then you had, John, uh, you had Martin Luther King, of course, and Congressman John Lewis leading the charge to bring about even a, a more perfect union to end Southern segregation. But I want to talk about what's happened between the era of those marches and where we are today in 2020 and where we, the two parties stand. Because one thing that's really, really, really important to understand is one of the lies the left has made up uh, that has become kind of a mythical, legendary thing that the leftists in America today try to say. Because Democrats in this country have had to admit, okay, yes, historically, the Democrat Party supported slavery. The Democrat Party was the author of the Jim Crow laws, segregation. Um, the, K the Democrat Party was the KKK. In fact, the KKK was the enforcement arm of the Democrat Party. So you have many Democrats today trying to say, yeah, but you know, that was then, this is now. There was this great switch, don't you know? And this is the big lie, the great switch. The argument being made that even though historically the Democrats were the ones who supported slavery, supported segregation, fought against equal rights for black Americans, that somehow the parties magically switched and now it is the Democrats of today are the ones standing up for uh, fairness and equality and, and uh, racial equality and somehow the Republicans are the racist party. This is what the Democrats try to sell. One reason they do that and one vehicle they have, one means of doing that is for them to argue that the parties switched. And I'm here to tell you, it never happened. There was no great switch. So when you hear people say that, you need to be ready to respond and say, actually, no, there was no great switch. There was none. But like, so on, on that argument though, just to understand how severe, how in, in entrenched segregation and racism is in the Democrat party ideology from its inception until now, let me just give you a few little examples. Back in 1948, 1948, so we didn't have the civil rights era yet, but 1948, there was a split in the Democrat party between supporters of President Harry S. Truman's military integration. Truman wanted to integrate, racially integrate our military uh, and those who rejected minorities in America's armed services. The Democrat party resulted large, the Dixiecrat party resulted largely comprised of Southern Democrats devoted to racial segregation, Southern Democrats devoted to, ra to racial segregation and still supporting Jim Crow laws to deny black Americans voting, educational and accommodation rights. They went on to write the Democrat platform with the added plank of legalizing racial segregation in the military. This is the Democrat party 1948. Contrast that with the 1948 Republican National Committee platform, which said, constant and effective insistence on the personal dignity of the individual and the right to complete justice without, without regard to race, creed, or color is a fundamental American principle. We aim always to unite and to strengthen, never to weaken or divide. In such a brotherhood will, will we Americans, only in such a brotherhood will we Americans get results. We will overcome all obstacles moving forward. You ha so the Dixiecrats, Democrats of the South, could not stand even racial integration, uh, integ integration of America's military. Republicans back as far as that, that time, we're still talking, we're even talking about the idea we just all have to be one people. We are one people. 
the American people. We are brothers and sisters based on our beliefs or based on our identity as God's children, not because of our skin color. But there was a, so you had Lyndon B. Johnson signing on the Civil Rights Act of 1964, War on Poverty. And just so you're clear about this, in Congress, 78% of the Democrats, 78% of Democrats, including Senator Robert Byrd, Himself, a former KKK exalted leader called a Cyclops, opposed the Civil Rights Act. 78% of the Democrats in the United States Congress opposed the Civil Rights Act being pushed through by, at, at that time, um, and 82% of GOP senators voted to support it. These are the Civil Rights Acts. I'm sorry, I jumped ahead of John. This was John F. Kennedy pushing through civil rights. Finally, Lyndon B. Johnson brought forward the Civil Rights Act so again, a vast majority of Democrats opposed it. A vast majority of Republicans supported it. Really important to understand. So the Republican Party, of course, grew in the South because it's standing for what's right. The Democrat ideas became more obviously transparently ugly and caustic and, and, and unacceptable in America. And so you had, you know, you, you, the, the Republican Party remained the party it had been from its inception, the party formed to end to, to end slavery. Republican Party formed to oppose slavery to, to require and demand equal rights for black Americans. So what you have had in the left, in the effort of the American left, is to paint this great switch, and you have to get this point. It never happened. It is a myth, a myth pushed by leftists in this country because they do not want to acknowledge that the Democrat Party's policies today, the Democrat Party impetus for today is just as racist as the Democrat Party was back when they were the ones pushing the KKK, Jim Crow laws, and other evil, ugly racism. So, and I tell you, we, we've talked about Thomas, uh, Dr. Thomas Sowell in this show many times, but he, you know, a highly educated conservative black, wrote this uh, in 2005, liberal Democrats especially must keep blacks fearful of racism everywhere. And let me say that to you again. Dr. Thomas Sowell, a black American, a former leftist, now a PhD, a doctor. He is at the Hoover Institution at Stanford, a, a remarkable writer and speaker and commentator. He wrote in 2005, liberal Democrats especially must keep blacks fearful of racism everywhere. Not only must the present be distorted, so must the past. And any alternative view of the future must be nipped in the bud. That is why prominent minority figures who stray from the liberal plantation must be decredited, discredited, and debased. So there is just there's more, much more time on that subject, but understand the great switch never happened. But back, this is a segment on John Lewis. I want to just mention a couple of things about John Lewis. You can never thank him enough, and everyone who with whom he worked, and there were. Black Americans, white Americans, uh, Northern Americans, Southern, there were people of all backgrounds who got behind the civil rights movement in this country and got behind the efforts of Martin Luther King to say, we must end segregation, we must have equal rights for all, we must make America a better and better, more perfect union. People of all race, ethnicity, national origins did this. But John Lewis got up to Congress in 1987 and in the course of the time that he remained in Congress, he remained a Democrat, and, and he continued to go along 
to push for the Democrat policies, whatever they be. He just hung on to the Democrats are the answer, Republicans are bad people, uh, which, which he's entitled to do, of course, but he ended up being someone who just went along with the everything the Democrat media mob, everything the leaders of the American left thought up about Republicans to say. And so he bought into the, you know, Republicans are the racists, even though there, w there was not the basis to support that in history. There's no historical basis to support that. But the Democrat Party, which he was a part, that was their line. They, they the Democrats had to, had to, as Thomas Sowell described, had to continue to try to convince uh, black Americans that Republicans are racist. So I want to talk a little bit about the, the ways in which the left works really hard to keep black Americans afraid of each other, afraid of America, afraid of Republicans, afraid of the idea of America. There, there is just a persistent, determined effort and has been for a long time for the Democrat media mob, the leftists in this country, to convince black Americans that this is a deeply racist country, that there is just a, a horrible you know, uh, racism simmering below the surface at all times and that they, the Democrat Party, are the ones who are going to stand up and defend against the evil racism they are claiming is everywhere. The Democrat Party functions by putting every American into a silo and telling you, you are not an individual with the capacity to think and reason on your own. You are completely defined by your skin color. Your skin color defines everything about you. It defines what you must believe, how you must vote, what you can think about anything. This is the Democrat mission in life. They put black Americans, Asian Americans, Hispanic Americans, women, uh, you know, LGBT Americans, into their silos and their assigned silos and say, this is how you must think. The Democrat media mob has decided you can't deviate from it. And Thomas Sowell made allusion to how hard it is for black conservatives to speak up and say, but that's not really what I think. I don't really want that. That's not, you can't do that. The Democrat media mob says, you will think as we tell you to think. And the Democrats that were the mob in this country, the leftist mob has worked very hard to convince America that racism is indeed spreading and and hidden under every you know every uh, rock behind every rock behind every tree there's a uh, racism everywhere. So, John Lewis, member of Congress, led at the time President Trump was elected, won the election in 2016. Then we get to January 2017, the inauguration. John Lewis led the boycott of President Trump's inauguration. And this is not because he had any, you know, personal, as far as I'm aware, any personal animus or hatred. He had just bought into all Republicans bad. And whatever the Democrat media mob says is true about some Republican, some candidate, you know, he went along with it. So he led a boycott of the Trump inauguration. He actually got 65 other House Democrats to boycott the inauguration. And it's kind of interesting, interesting to think, this is 2017 that in the time that President Trump has been in office, before the coronavirus came along, we had the best black unemployment numbers ever. We had, because of President Trump's policies of bringing back jobs to America, of getting the, the burdensome federal regulations pulled back, so you're relieving pressure on businesses, allowing them to create jobs, you had the growth of our economy, which resulted in the lowest unemployment numbers for black Americans, women, uh, Hispanic Americans, just fabulous numbers, great outcomes. 
If you say you stand for wanting a better life for black Americans, you would think that'd be like the best news you ever heard, that this is great. You have black Americans actually finding employment, low unemployment numbers, an ability, not just that the jobs were there, but that with the, what having a job and income and ability to put food in the table and to be self-reliant and to care for your family, all of that flows from the ability of people to have and hold jobs. So you would think that would make someone like John Lewis, who said he cared so much about uh, African-Americans' plight in America, to say, wow, this is awesome. This is awesome. But you never really had that. The, the commitment at this point, the commitment of people on the, on the American left, you can't give credit, even when great things happen like that, even when America is on a fabulous trajectory and you have Americans feeling good about economy and good about our country and good about their ability to be self-reliant, you can't acknowledge that because the left is so invested in pushing their Democrat media mob view, they simply cannot give credit to reality, to facts, to the idea that here you have a, a great outcome and maybe some of the ideas President Trump is pushing, as in low taxes, limited government, trade deals that bring jobs back home, limiting federal regulation, all these things making life better for black Americans, you would think that might have triggered John Lewis or others to say, you know what, maybe some of these ideas aren't so bad. Couldn't go there, just could not go there. So he, you know, he, he led the um, effort to just um, to ignore, to, uh, to embarrass actually President Trump, the effort of John Lewis and others to snub him, to boycott the inauguration, was not just a, you know, we just, we personally want to stay home and, and not participate in this. It was an effort to emb embarrass him, to malign, to make, to make it clear from the beginning, we Democrats in Congress, we're not going to cooperate, we're not going to play ball, we're not going to have any, any conversation. We're not going to do anything to support this president. We're going to try to make him fail. And so compounded with that, again, I'm talking, I'm, today I'm kind of on the subject of you know, where we were when, uh, in America when John Lewis participated in the Civil Rights Acts and where we are today in 2020. The other thing that's happening in America, of course, is you have the American left working so hard to, to spin the stories about uh, racism in this country. And I just had to mention this one story, which I think is just um, uh, almost breathtaking that happened. But it's the kind of thing where the narrative gets going and the lie gets going. And, and you know, that there's that expression about, you know, a lie makes its way around the world before truth wakes up in the morning or something like that. Those kind of expressions that say you can barely get truth out there uh, because the lie has, has been implanted. So there is a story, the, the uh, magazine The Atlantic, which is a far leftist, I mean, I, I have many times found just completely dishonest articles. The, the Atlantic has a reputation, kind of a, a, an aura, a niche about it, that people think it's a little bit more intellectual. It's not really just a news source. It's kind of a, a deep thinker. You know, they have longer articles and they are very, they use kind of their, they, they don't ever use the kind of uh, flashy headlines that are, that some of the, the media does, the kind of propaganda journalism they try to hold themselves out, the Atlantic Magazine, as one that's actually pretty thoughtful, lengthy articles, written in eloquent you know, uh, intellectual prose. And the fact is they're radical leftists who print lies. One, and not just lies, I mean, they have, they have praised the Southern Poverty Law Center, even though it, is, it itself is a disgrace of an organization, proven to have lied about people, lied about people, called them racist, put them on their hate list, and yet the Atlantic 
praises them. But the particular story related to all of our topics today, before I get to the great news by Alan West, but the particular topic is this. So the Atlantic magazine, the anti-American leftist Atlantic magazine, published a story just very, very recently. They published a story that involved a lawyer, uh, a woman lawyer named uh, Derricka Purnell, who claimed she's an adult women lawyer. She is part of the, she calls herself a police abolitionist. She wants to abolish police. But she, and she's a black American woman. She told a story that was laid out in the Atlantic magazine that when she was 12 years old, and I think St. Louis, but some city, she was in, she was 12 years old, and that she was uh, helping her sister at a local little recreation center, helping her sister learn how to shoot a basketball, um, and she watched a police officer come into the rec center, and because one of the people, I guess when you enter the rec center, you're supposed to sign in, and some kid hadn't signed in, she told this story, and the Atlantic published her story, claiming that she saw a police officer because some kid failed to file a sign in when he walked in, that the police officer walked into the rec center, pulled out his gun, and shot the kid. Okay, to be clear, uh, it, she, this, she's claiming he only shot him in the arm, I guess didn't kill him, but she claimed a police officer shot a child because that person had failed to sign in at the, at the rec center. And so she talked about that being the springboard of her, you know, anti-police animus or just hatred of the police. And she has this deeply personal story, shattered innocence, shattered bones. Um, and that led her ultimately to become what she is today, which is a police abolitionist. Well, the story, so Atlantic runs with this story. You know, I don't even know if they have fact checkers. I don't even know if they try to find out things are true. But fortunately, the Federalist said, you know, that sounds pretty crazy. I mean pretty crazy that you are claiming this happened. So the Federalists dug in and they looked at record, police records. They looked at the records that they could possibly track down. Um, they investigated newspaper archives, police department records, the police union records, the office of the mayor. They asked the Atlantic, what evidence do you have that ever happened? And there's nothing to back it up. Now I cannot say I know this didn't happen, but I can say the story is absurd and, you know, seemingly preposterous. But for The Atlantic to publish that story, not be able to come up with one iota of backup to the story, to an amazing story, not one iota of backup did they provide, did Atlantic provide to the Federalists, and, uh, but they ran the story because the story fits their narrative. The story fits the narrative of the anti-American left of which the Atlantic is a very proud member, trying very hard to convince America that this is a deeply racist country that must be, we just have to fear what is happening to this country at all times. We have to fear that under every rock there's racism, that horrible things happen, there's never accountability. And this is the uh, kind of story that unless refuted and challenged, shapes the next generation of activists in this country. It's one thing if you grew up in the era when there was actual segregation and you grew up in the era where there were lynchings and where there were you know, two black and white entrance to restaurants and every other facility where you had the black water fountain and the white water fountain. If you grew up in that era, you could think, wow, everyone around me seems pretty okay with this. 
And you could understand that it probably caused great racial tension. And, and fortunately for America, Martin Luther King, John Lewis, you know, many, many others, as I say, white and black Americans stood up and said, this is not good enough, it's not okay, this is not America. And so you had that kind of activism rooting out that, not just rooting out the laws that impose segregation, but rooting out the thinking in the American psyche that this is good enough for America, this is okay for America, because it wasn't and it's not. But when the Atlantic runs stories like this, and there's you know, no, apparently no verification, and other times you've seen racial hoaxes played out on the media, reported all over the place, and we find out later that in a story that sounds horrific, that was some kind of you know, horrible thing spray painted on somebody's wall, all sorts of stories that are racial hoaxes, the story runs big. The investigation happens, turned out the whole thing is a hoax. We haven't talked about Jesse Smollett in a long time, but he's a good example of that story. Completely concocted, completely made up to perpetuate the narrative the left wants black America to embrace, which is you live in a horrible country, a racist country, and we Democrats, we're the ones exposing it, so vote with us. We're gonna keep on fighting those evil racists. And you end up having more and more Americans you know, reading stories like this in the Atlantic, never realizing that what they're reading is just garbage, that there is no backing for it, and never reporting on the hoaxes, rarely reporting with the same gusto and enthusiasm and size of font and placement in the publications that says, hey, you know, the story we said last week turns out complete fake. You never hear that. You don't see that because the left benefits from perpetuating fear of racism. So where we are in America today in 2020, uh, I, I will, again, I honor Congressman John Lewis. Uh, you can't thank people enough who engaged in the civil rights movement era uh, protests and demands and actually brought about the change in civil rights laws. But here's where we are in 2020. We have an American left, the Democrat Party, can not win elections without holding on to virtually the entire black vote in America. They cannot win. And so they are driven, driven to continue the narrative, to perpetuate the narrative that America is a deeply racist country. And so and they've got to have everyone believing this. And so you had, and, and you also have woven into that fact in our modern history, you have the Marxism that has taken over the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party in America is not simply a tiny little fragment, you know, fragmented section that happens to be supporters of Democrat Socialists of America and otherwise are mainstream America. The Democrat Party itself has been taken over by radical Marxist thinking. You have the Antifa organization, the most fascist, evil, violent organization imaginable, and they exist, their name comes from being anti-fascist and they are the fascists, a typical trick leftists do. They are the fascists, but they call themselves the anti-fascists, so maybe you won't notice that they are fascists. So you have the Antifa locking arms with the Marxist organization Black Lives Matter, creating havoc around this country, and the violence like you saw in Portland, the violence we're gonna play in a moment in New York City. And I'm gonna close out this segment by playing that little segment, that little clip from New York City, because this is a clip, I don't know what Matt has it, maybe. Um, I think it's the very last one. Clip seven. Clip seven, just so you can see the kind, this is a one little example of the kind of violence we're watching in New York City. Got it? Yeah. No, we don't have it. Okay, never mind about that. 
Okay, we're not going to play that one. We're going to go. I'll just move on and tell you what I want. Where I want to get to with all of this. I'm getting at the point that we're in a great place in the year 2020 because more and more Americans are waking up to the fact. More and more Americans are waking up to the fact that they have been played by the Antifa BLM Democrat media mob. You have black Americans beginning to speak up to say, wait a minute, hold your horses. You Antifa, you Black Lives Matter, you radical leftist groups destroying our cities, burning buildings, burning police cars, stealing, robbing, destroying property. You're not really speaking up for black Americans. You're, that's not at all what you're doing. You're actually speaking up for your leftist destroy America agenda, and they aren't going to put up with it. So you have a, um, you, yeah, I'm just going to play a bunch of clips. This was, a, I'll just start with, uh, I still want to hang in this segment. I'll get to Alan West in just a moment. Um, but there was a clip, uh, a story that is related to, it, it has some different spe people speaking in it. But the gist of it is, it has black Americans who are now for the first time more and more outspoken saying, wait a minute, we're not going to be played by the Democrat Party anymore. So this, uh, Matt the Wonderful, is uh, clip one with Candace Owens. They see an instance in which black America is upset, rightfully upset about George Floyd, and maybe they're going to come out and protest, right? And then they say, this is the opportunity for us uh, to now pretend that this is black America, and it's them that's going to riot, right. and it's them that's going to loot. Right. So they're actually using black Americans as a shield um, uh, uh, to uh, pursue their, their anarchy, you know, their, their anarchy goals. And um, in that way, it's extremely racist, right, to hide behind black Americans and make us look like we're the criminals and we're the people that don't know how to cope with death so we're burning down our neighborhoods uh that's ridiculous okay love 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 candace owens and i love it because she's saying things be very hard to say for most americans to say but she's saying black lives matter is using which is a marxist effort antifa black lives matter using black americans to get their agenda and they're not really standing up for black americans at all now i want to show you a clip there's a woman named bevelyn Beatty. Her name is Bevelyn Beatty. She's a young black woman. She's been showing up at protests around the country, alleged Black Lives Matter protests, which are really Antifa-led Marxist protests that have very little to do with standing, or if anything to do with standing for black America. Bevelyn Beatty, let me show you what she's been doing uh, in, uh, at, when she shows up at these places, one being where in the streets, the, uh, some Black Lives Matter protesters have painted in huge yellow letters. One's outside of President Trump's uh, hotel that says Black Lives Matter painted in bright yellow paint. Here's Bevelyn Beatty. Don't just sit by idly and watch your country go to the ground. Stand with your police force. Vote for Trump. Vote Republican. Vote, vote. for Christians and stand up Christians. It's for the black people. It's for the black people. They're destroying businesses for black people. They're looting for black people. They do it for black people, right? Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. But you want to define the police for black people. You're lying. No, we're not standing for Black Lives Matter. We want our police. Refund our police. Okay, she... <laughs> That's Bevelyn Bay. She's saying refund, refund our police. 
all over the country. She's been showing up. She's been arrested numerous times. So you have Bevelyn Beatty getting a lot of national attention, pointing out Black Lives Matter is not standing up for Black America. Then you also have this one more clip, uh, similar related to all of this, uh, which is a clip of Brandon Tatum talking about Bevelyn Beatty. Bevelyn Beatty is my hero. Now she, her, she's been growing on me, week after week, week after week, arrest after arrest, because she has been standing up and getting arrested for it, standing up for righteousness. When I see a young woman who stands up for God first, stands up to these issues, no matter the bullying, no matter the criticism, Bevelyn is, she just go hard, man. <laughs> I just love that guy. He was on the show a few weeks ago. That's Brandon Tatum, uh, who is a co-founder of Blexit. And he, I mean, he's just celebrating her. What I'm really getting with all this is, you know, you had the civil rights era where we rightfully thank and praise the uh, movement that was led by Martin Luther King and, and thousands of others involved, hundreds of thousands of others. They did a great thing. But with where we are today in 2020, the racist American left that was the same racist American left that supported slavery, that fought against freeing the slaves, that imposed segregation, that imposed Jim Crow laws, that, impo that, impo that forced, that, that imposed KKK. Again, the KKK was the enforcement arm of the Democrat Party. That same racist ideology that led the Democrat Party all those years is in America today still the racist ideology of the American left. You, that what they're doing though to push their agenda is using black Americans at, at claiming they're standing up for them, but what they're really pushing in today's Democrat Party is the radical leftism that, will tr that, that we think is maybe a fringe element, it's mainstream Democrat America. They are not going to stop the destruction of the cities. They're not going to stop the lawlessness or funding. They're funding the, the destruction of America and using black Americans as they're supposed that, oh, we're not really destroying America. We're just standing up for black Americans. And plenty of intelligent, conservative black Americans are waking up and saying, uh, no, not so fast. One last thing in New York City, just to mention this, I, I mentioned Portland quite a bit, but in New York City, I just want to mention that um, in addition to all the violence, uh, you know, attacks on police officers, you have these Antifa people. One was just arrested for cutting the brake lines in a New York City police department van. So police officers would have gotten in and realized uh, brakes aren't working. And who knows what kind of horrible thing could have happened. I'm getting at you have to understand the left is out of control in this country. The Democrat Party has nowhere to go politically except to enable and justify what the left is doing. No one on the left, no one in the Democrat Party is standing up and saying, wait a minute, this is not, we, we can't do this. We, we have to stand up for law and order. We have to stand, we have to have police. We have to have the rule of law. We have to have order. The Democrat Party has nowhere to go politically because they, they, have, they can't denounce these people. They, th they think this is all gonna, be, gonna keep them in power somehow. They can't denounce the radical element of their party. They've gotta keep convincing, trying to convince black Americans that this violence is all on their behalf. But thank goodness for Candace Owens, Brandon Tatum, and the person I'm talking about next, Alan West, all of them wise enough to reject the efforts of the American left to destroy this country, falsely claiming they're trying to stand up for black America.
Last story I want to hit today is Alan West. And if you follow uh, Texas politics at all, uh, there was a marathon meeting, uh, which was the uh, Republican convention, the GOP Texas State Convention, and um, which I, I was a delegate to the convention. I've you know been involved in politics for years here in Texas, but we had an incumbent chairman of the GOP, and he was challenged by Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. If you watch my show very often, you know he's a friend, he's been on many times, uh, and, and, and really I always enjoy interviewing him, and I supported him in his quest to become chairman of the Texas GOP. And the reason I did is because he's number one, able to speak truth about the evil and ugliness of Black Lives Matter, the evil and ugliness of Antifa, the fact that the American left, the Democrats of today, the Democrat party of today, does not stand up for black people, does not stand up for equality. They stand for radical Marxism. This is a guy who is able to be, is extremely articulate, and is able to say the Democrat party of today is not standing up for the America, the country America, the founding of America, the ideas of America, the, the, the essential ideas that create this country. Alan West is extremely articulate in being able to say that today in America, if you love this country, if you understand the ideas upon which we are founded, then you must reject everything that the left has is now supporting, that the Democrat Party today is supporting, is simply anti-American. So he's brilliant talking about opposing Marxism, brilliant talking. He's a historian extraordinaire. He can talk about the evils of socialism and Marxism and communism. He can talk about those ideas. He knows historical facts. He's able to tie them to present day events. He's really brilliant at exposing how radically left today's Democrat Party is. And so you had him running for state chair in Texas. And I'll tell you why I think this is so phenomenal. You know, we're in an era in 2020 where the Democrats' main argument in running for any office is everybody else is racist. This is the Democrat argument on, on every issue, on whether it's immigration, environmental law, tax law, you know, whatever the rule, criminal law. The Democrat Party's core argument on pretty much every issue is you have to vote with us because whatever's motivating, whatever the issue is, the other side's racist. That's why they don't agree with us. So the Democrat Party uses race to attack Republicans on issue after issue after issue. And so this is a, it's a crucial time in America to have the biggest, one of the biggest states in America, I mean, the, the biggest Republican party, a state party in this country, and the Republican activists, the delegates at the state convention elected uh, elected a new chairman yesterday. It was, you know, it was in fact, what I would just tell you, it went till two in the morning. It was actually early this morning when the the uh, convention kind of wrapped up, or the the important the decision making body wrapped things up at two in the morning today, and decided and chose Alan West as the new chairman of the Texas GOP. This is a brilliant stroke. It's a brilliant thing. Number one because of what I'm saying about the idea that he can, in this era of the left's lies, and they're, they're flinging the racist name at everything Republican, to have the biggest Republican party in the country, in the state of Texas, choose a black leader, an outspoken, conservative, rock-solid military veteran, informed historian, and true believer in the ideas of America, elect him to be the chairman of the GOP. This was a wonderful, wonderful stroke. 
on top of that, I'll tell you a little bit inside baseball uh, in Texas, because I think it also relates to what this message, what the message is, what this message sends that the GOP in Texas chose to elect uh, as our chairman, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West. So, you know, you all know the name Carl Rove, and Carl Rove is a, a in, in, very insider guy. He's a, the architect, I think, of George W. Bush's first uh, victory, presidential victory. You know, he's a Texan, uh, Carl Rove is, but he's viewed as the, the big mastermind, and he's always, you know, behind the scenes, pulling the strings and pulling coalitions together. Very, very much of a um, uh, anti-Tea Party, anti-conservatism, kind of pro-establishment guy. That's his, his niche, that's where he lives. And so he's always a massive force behind the scenes as a string puller, always pulling strings, always orchestrating, never supported President Trump. I mean, I, I'm sure you could find clips where Karl Rove would say, oh yes, I support President Trump. But this is, Trump is not Karl Rove's kind of guy. George W. Bush was Karl Rove's kind of guy. Carl Rove got into this and he's into every race he wants to be into. He's got all sorts of tentacles everywhere, lots of money, lots of polling people, lots of energy he spends trying to manipulate and pull strings behind the scenes. The Carl Rove and his, uh, the Carl Rove ilk really wanted to continue to perpetuate the incumbent, DC, the uh, GOP chairman in Texas, I, and who, by the way, is a great guy. I have no bone to pick with the past, with the now past uh, chairman of the Texas GOP. Nice guy, hard worker, you know, very much of a functionary kind of guy. He will show up at all the events, works to register voters, tries to raise money. I mean, he does the functionary thing, but he's not a visionary. He's not someone who's able to say with passion what the party stands for. And you had Karl Rove pulling the strings behind the scenes, trying to orchestrate this guy, or let me say, it appeared to people from the outside that Karl Rove was trying to, and was trying to pull strings inside to retain the incumbent DC, uh, Texas uh, chairman of the GOP. And he has other uh, ways he's pulling strings, other people he's trying to prop up, Karl Rove does, other people who are kind of the more moderate types, uh, he's trying to orchestrate them into various positions of power. So what you really saw in the GOP convention over the weekend was a lot like what you saw in the 2016 presidential election. The people, the people of this country chose Donald Trump because they wanted someone who would stand up for the ideas of America, who would say America is a good country, a noble country, a worthy country, a country to be defended, to be redefined, to be, to be lifted up, to be sovereign. Trump saw that about America. And the same way was happening in Texas, you had many of the Republican establishment in Texas watching the Texas politics and watching polling and numbers and, and you know, election results, and you had the Republican leadership in Texas kind of tacking toward the center, saying, well, you know, we don't wanna be way out there. You know, let, let's just sound, let's be Republican light. Let's be kind of, you know, we, we, uh, Republican like, we don't really stand for conservative ideas. We just kind of tack to the center. And so you had the activists who get involved, who become delegates, who go down, who participate. We didn't actually have a physical convention. It's a whole other story I'll leave out for today, but we had a convention online. We were forced to have that. But you had the activists saying, no, we want somebody who is going to fight 
for the ideas that we believe in. Fight for the ideas of the founding of America, the actual idea of the freedom of the individual, the actual opposition to socialism. The people, someone who understands why freedom and free markets are the only answer. Someone who understands that you can't negotiate with the left because they will never, ever, ever, ever give an inch. All that ever happens when Republicans negotiate with the left is that Republicans tack to the center and the left pulls the Republican Party more to the left and what was the center is now over here and the, and the new center is even more leftist. This is what happens over and over. So you had really the grassroots in, in Texas say, you know what, we want someone who can stand up for the ideas of America. We're tired of establishment Republicans. We're tired of the capitulating Republicans. We're tired of people who say they believe one thing, but they really don't want to do that because it's inconvenient or uncomfortable. Alan West stands up. He's not the functionary kind of guy who is going to be, you know, necessarily doing all of the um, day-to-day administrivia involved in the party. He's a guy who's going to inspire more and more Texans to believe in the ideas of conservatism, of America, of republicanism. That's the kind of guy, that's why he got chosen. So his the choice of the voters in uh, at this convention, who now made him Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, our new GOP state chair, it was a choice that said, we actually believe in the ideas of Texas, of America, of conservatism, and we want someone to lead. And I'll close out this because I got to go to my why it matters to you, but I'll get back to this another day. So the le- the Democrat Party in Texas is you know beside themselves because it was pretty easy for them to beat up the former chairman of the Texas GOP. Very good guy, very nice guy. He's a friend. He's a good guy, but he wasn't a fighter. He didn't understand. He didn't. He wasn't ready for the fight we're in at this time. And Alan West is. So you had the Texas Democrat Party putting out a statement today, I kid you not, calling Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, an African-American veteran, a fighter served in our army, a veteran who has served in wartime, a, an, a, an amazing historian, someone who understands the depths of history, the ideas of freedom versus socialism, the ideas of, of America, a guy who understands American history. You have the Democrat Party calling black American Lieutenant Colonel Allen West a racist. That's seriously, that was the answer. You talk about, if I, I'm telling you in the show today, how frequently and regularly the Democrat Party, the leftists in this country, resort to calling anyone they fear, anyone they hate, anyone whose ideas they can't respond to, any policy they have no answer to at all, their default is call them a racist. So they actually called Lieutenant Colonel Allen West a racist in their public statement this morning. I mean, laughable, yes, but absurd even more so. And lastly, as I wrap up this segment, it's a sure sign that they're pretty much, the Democrat party is pretty much out of bullets. They can't figure out what to do when someone who they know will stand up, they know will fight, they know will say what we stand for, just like President Trump does, this Alan West is gonna do, they have nothing left except, oh, he must be a racist. I mean, I'm sure someone at the party thought, maybe we shouldn't put out the fact that this black leader, the, the first black you know, chairman of the Texas GOP, uh, maybe we shouldn't call him a racist. Can we think of other things to criticize? They couldn't. So that's what they went with. He's a racist. My friends, I'll tell you more about this as we go on, but I see this, this choice by the, the delegates to the uh, Texas GOP convention, 
of Lieutenant Colonel Allen West as a signal. It's like a shot across the bow. The left is not going to take the path, take this country down the path of writing off the Republican Party as racist. They're not going to win this, this election in 2020 by lying about the status of race in America, lying about what the Republican Party stands for, lying about the history and the goodness of America, because Alan West knows the goodness and history of America, and he's going to have a bully pulpit like you've never seen. And my friends, we are way past out of time, I think. So I'll tell you, as I always do at the end of every show, why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started with the show about the Portland terrorists arrested, leftists outraged, and so they were. No one can look at recent video clips of Portland and conclude this is what an American city should look like. Graffiti, arson, property destruction on multiple city blocks. The mayor did nothing for seven plus weeks. Then the feds show up and the mayor blames them. The feds are not acting as secret police. Unmarked cars are commonly used to interdict serious crime, terrorism, such as Antifa. Officers are wearing uniforms. Arrests follow warrants. Arrested suspects are not being hidden or held without rights. The leftist agenda is total destruction of the social civil order. Restoring American law and order will take resolve and persistence. And a Congressman John Lewis's legacy, as the young man Lewis stood with Martin Luther King and endured police brutality. Martin Luther King's stand brought about positive change and Lewis deserves credit for joining. But years inside the Beltway changed him from a civil rights icon to more of a standard leftist. Boycotting Trump's inauguration was blind acceptance of the false mainstream, mainstream media narrative. He never acknowledged how Trump's agenda has benefited black Americans, more and more aligned with voices of division and separation, not equal rights. The political parties never switched. Democrats have always been the party of racism. The GOP has always been the party of equal rights under the law. John Lewis failed to see that reality a reality reaffirmed yesterday in our next story on Alan West's victory in Texas. An Alan West elected Texas GOP chair, and why it matters to you, this is major good news for Texas and, Amer and for America. Mainstream media leftist narrative is completely dismantled by West's victory. A racist GOP? Mm, most populous GOP-controlled state in the USA elects a black American to be GOP chair, and the Texas Democrats call West a racist and then strong shifting anti-Trump sentiment in the GOP. Another thing Karl Rove is trying to push is, oh, there's a lot of anti-Trump sentiment. Karl Rove, ruling class status quo rejected in a landslide election akin to Tommy Tuberville and in Alabama. West is more conservative and outspoken than Texas Governor Greg Abbott and Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. New pressure on Texas elected officials to reverse course, no more turning purple, get back to honoring Texas's heritage of freedom. And the last slide, Antifa, BLM, and Lieutenant Colonel Allen West. Antifa and BLM are led and populated mostly by Marxist, by white Marxists. They are anti-black family. They're pro-black abortions. They're anti-Christian, anti-free markets, anti-American. Alan West is the opposite of Antifa and BLM, and he just won a landslide election to be GOP chair in Texas because he's pro-American and doesn't back down, just like Trump. Bevelyn Beatty is the new Rosa Parks, a black woman unafraid to call out BLM for its anti-black agenda in New York City, right in front of Trump Tower. And that, my very fine friends, is my show for today. 
I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America?